The following podcast contains explicit content and is not suitable for all listeners. On June 3rd, 2015, just three days before her 40th birthday, a 39-year-old woman was stabbed to death by her ex-boyfriend in the driveway of her home in Berlin, New Jersey, in the United States. The relationship had been fraught with violence, intimidation, and stalking, and although a restraining order was in place, she was fearful for her life and was in the process of getting a gun permit. Her home security camera caught the terrifying and tragic scene, but before he could be captured, her murderer took his own life. This is the story of Carol Bowne. Carol M. Bowne was born in Stratford, New Jersey, to parents Irvin, who went by Sunny, and Kathy Ely. I think that's how you pronounce it, so I apologize if it's incorrect. She had two sisters, Katie and Laura, and a brother, Mark. The close-knit family grew up in Kirkwood, New Jersey, which was just about 2 miles or 3.2 kilometers from where she was born. So she was born and raised in New Jersey and lived there her whole life, proud of her home and upbringing. At the time of her murder, she was living in Berlin, New Jersey, which is roughly 5 miles or 8 kilometers from her family home in Kirkwood. Carol worked as a hairstylist at O'Hara and Company in Summerdale, New Jersey, which was roughly a 10-minute drive from her home. She was known to be caring and friendly and was always smiling. Her friend stating, quote, she was a wonderful girl, very loving, end quote. And another friend adding, quote, great hairdresser, great person, loving, caring, do anything for anybody, end quote. Berlin is a small township in the state of New Jersey, with a population of just 7,489 as of 2020. It's located more in the southern half of the state, close to the Pennsylvania border, and is about 21 miles or 33 kilometers from Philadelphia, just to give you an idea of its location if you aren't familiar with that area, as I'm not. Carol was previously married and, from what I found, did not have any children. Her husband tragically passed away in a motorcycle accident on June 7, 2012, at the age of 40. Roy T. Bound Jr. was also a resident of New Jersey, born and raised, and by all accounts the two had a loving and happy relationship. The loss of her husband devastated Carol. And that's when Michael Itell saw his opportunity. The grieving widow leaned on her husband's friend for support, and a relationship began. He had apparently moved in shortly after her husband's passing, but it's unclear exactly when or when the relationship started. I'd like to say quickly that judging Carol or any widow going through the grieving process for choices that they make while experiencing such trauma is not okay. He was a predator and he saw an opportunity. It's very clear. Regardless, however you choose to handle grief is up to you. Of course, that means sometimes regretful decisions are made. 
Sadly, Carol realized her mistake a bit too late. I'd like to take this moment to thank you for listening to my podcast. Femicide has surpassed 16,000 downloads, and I cannot thank you enough for your support. If you haven't already, please leave a review. It helps so much in getting my podcast out to a wider audience. I would also like to deeply thank the contributor who donated to my Buy Me a Coffee account. If you haven't heard of that, it's just a way to donate and support your favorite podcasters and other creators. I haven't gotten any donations yet from it. Even though I have been doing this almost two years consistently, I really don't get a lot of donations of any kind. And so I just wanted to say it really meant so much to me. I was so excited to see it and to know that someone out there really supported me and valued what I'm doing here. So I just wanted to say thank you. And if you are interested, I do also have a Patreon account. It is $5 a month and you get an additional bonus episode each and every month. So if you're interested, please head on over there. There are a few new episodes that you can check out there as well. The concept behind femicide is very close to my heart. And I hope through these stories we can shed a light on the abuse, violence, and sexual assault that women face daily. I will leave a link to both the Patreon and Buy Me a Coffee in the show notes below if you're interested. As always, I will be donating 10% of all gifts received and memberships each month to various charities that help support women. The charity I will be donating to for the month of February 2023 is the Toronto Rape Crisis Center slash Multicultural Women Against Rape, or TRCC slash MWAR. Quote, a grassroots women and non-binary people-run collective. We work towards a violence-free world by providing anti-oppressive feminist peer support to survivors of gender-based or sexualized violence. We engage in public education, activism, and provide direct individual and group support to survivors and their supporters." End quote. And please don't forget to share with your friends and families because word of mouth is the best review of all. Carol's relationship with Michael quickly turned into an abusive situation. There are reports of him, quote, hitting her, smashing her face into her truck's dashboard, breaking her nose, spitting in her face, strangling her, and many more, end quote. Her friends and family were concerned, and even though Carol hit a lot, there was no hiding that something was very wrong. One friend stating, quote, I was scared for her all this time that she was having this problem, and I think she hit a lot, end quote. Her mother wrote an article condemning the laws against domestic violence abusers in New Jersey and the lack of police protection for Carol. In March of 2015, just months before her murder, she did file a restraining order. But despite continued instances of him violating that order, police neglected to follow up or arrest him. The restraining order actually made him angrier, and he began cyberbullying her online, as well as damaging her home and vehicle. There are reports Michael had been abusive in the past also, 
and had even served five years after kidnapping his ex-girlfriend in front of their child in 2006. So, as a repeat offender, why did the police not do more? A warrant was issued at one point, but according to Carol's mother, it took police a month to arrest him, and I'm not sure what came of that. There was apparently a law passed after another woman in New Jersey was murdered that required both the abuser and the victim to wear ankle monitors to allow police to see when violations occurred in an effort to help protect the victim. But multiple times it was vetoed by the governor of New Jersey who did not believe the technology was sufficient or that it would offer life-saving opportunities. Whatever the agenda, it doesn't make sense. Why not at least try? I think it could be a deterrent for some and would help to at least provide some course of action. Carol's mother believes the police need to do more and take it more seriously. Despite Michael's repeated instances of domestic violence, he'd gone to school with some of the officers, it being a small town, And police didn't want to react. They didn't want to believe that someone that they knew was capable of such violence, even when presented with evidence. Either that or they didn't find it a problem, which is even more concerning. Michael specifically said, quote, I will kill you and it will be worth every day in jail, end quote. It was quoted in the restraining order. But even when Carol asked to be walked home after work or escorted home after work between 9 and 10 p.m. by police, she was told, quote, that they didn't have enough manpower, end quote. She repeatedly went to the police with her mother to advocate for herself and seek help against Michael. And instead, she was let down by those who were supposed to protect her. As most abusers do, Michael violated the restraining order one last time on the evening of June 3rd, 2015, where he attacked Carol, getting out of her vehicle in the driveway of her home, and he stabbed her repeatedly to death. Police were called at 10.17 p.m., and she was rushed to hospital, but was pronounced dead shortly after. He then went on the run, as there was no doubt he was her killer. Video surveillance from her home security system, which she had had installed, only proved what everyone close to her already knew. But Michael would not see his day in court, and her family would not see justice for Carol's murder. Because just three days later, on June 6, 2015, On what would have been Carol's 40th birthday, Michael Eitel took his own life in the garage of his ex-girlfriend's home. Likely the one he also abused, although I'm not sure specifically, but it seems fitting for an egotistical coward like himself to leave one last moment of trauma for whoever he wanted to hold power over. Reports state that he hung himself. I'm only glad that he's gone so that his child or children and any ex-girlfriends that he abused don't have to endure a trial 
or the chance of him being released one day. Almost three years to the day, Carol joined her beloved husband, and that is the only comfort to come from such a devastating loss. Her obituary reading, quote, When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. Walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone. The Lord has promised that he would walk alongside us. At the end of the storm is a golden sky. The Lord walked alongside Carol and swept her off her footprints in the sand and carried her home, end quote. Adding, quote, Love me tender, love me sweet. You have made my life complete, and I love you so, end quote. It's clear she will be missed by all that knew her and those that had the joy of loving her. Carol's case has been used to highlight New Jersey's strict gun laws, which are actually quite similar to Canada's and require a waiting period of 43 days, according to my research, to obtain a permit, followed by a police check. In Canada, a training course and exam are also required for proper gun safety, again, according to my research. Gun supporters are using her death and her inability to acquire a gun in a timely manner as a way to advocate for easier gun laws. I understand it is a protected amendment in the U.S. to possess a firearm, and I won't pretend I know enough about the issues to speak on it. But I will say, when I searched for Canadian mass shootings, just as a comparison, 21 incidents appeared in my search from 1689 to 2022. The deadliest being the 2020 Nova Scotia attacks, with 23 deaths, including the perpetrator. Not all 21 incidents were shootings. A van incident and stabbings are also included on the list. When I did the same search for the U.S., it read, quote, between 1982 and 2011, a mass shooting occurred roughly once every 200 days. However, between 2011 and 2014, that rate accelerated greatly, with at least one mass shooting occurring every 64 days in the United States. End quote. However, that has grown out of control. In 2022 alone, 647 mass shootings occurred in the U.S. All reports I read relate specifically to shootings and using guns as the primary weapons. The deadliest being the 2017 Las Vegas shooting, where 58 people were killed. I'm only stating this to highlight the need for gun laws of some kind. I spoke about the changes to Canadian gun laws during episode 4, the story of the École Polytechnique massacre. What those laws look like is different in each place, but some sort of laws need to exist to make it more difficult for mass shootings to occur. And when those shootings occur, things should be spoken about and laws should be altered to prevent that happening in the future. It breaks my heart to see another school shooting or another mass shooting in the U.S. And I'm grateful that I don't see that often in Canada. 
any acts of violence like that are rare and deeply shocking when they occur. I don't feel shocked anymore when I see another report from the U.S. I just feel shock that something more hasn't been done yet to stop the violence. That said, I think more needs to be done to protect victims of domestic violence. Having to purchase a weapon to protect themselves is not a viable solution for a number of reasons. He ambushed Carol. Michael ambushed her. A gun would not have likely helped in that situation. She would have had to have been holding it while getting out of her vehicle and hope that it wasn't used against her. This was a petite woman at about 5 feet and 90 to 100 pounds, and a large man of about 6'4 and 250 to 275 pounds. Sadly, gun or not, the outcome likely would have been the same. I also read that in New Jersey, guns must remain at home, a business, or a shooting range. So again, I'm not convinced it would have actually helped in this situation. But how to protect victims is the real question, and I don't have an answer. Even if you could arrest him, if he didn't harm her, sentencing would be lenient, meaning he would get out and likely seek revenge for putting him away. Dealing with the mental health aspects of domestic violence and stalking is the only way to achieve real change. But the participants need to be willing, and I doubt her murderer or others like him would be open. They are just too consumed with their demons and too convinced that they're in the right. Perhaps the monitoring devices for domestic violence abusers and victims would be a good place to start. Like I said, I don't have an answer. Self-protection is important. Carrying mace or something to deter the perpetrator, self-defense classes, those are options. But in the end, we as women shouldn't have to look for ways to protect ourselves more. Men should stop abusing us, sexually assaulting us, and murdering us. Period. In the U.S., quote, One in four women experience severe intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner contact sexual violence, and or intimate partner stalking, with impacts such as injury, fearfulness, post-traumatic stress disorder, use of victim services, contraction of sexually transmitted diseases, etc., One in three women have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. This includes a range of behaviors, example slapping, shoving, pushing, and in some cases might not be considered, quote, domestic violence. One in seven women have been injured by an intimate partner. One in ten women have been raped by an intimate partner. One in four women have been victims of severe physical violence, example, beating, burning, strangling, by an intimate partner in their lifetime. One in seven women have been stalked by an intimate partner during their lifetime, to the point in which they felt very fearful or believed that they or someone close to them would be harmed or killed.
The presence of a gun in a domestic violence situation increases the risk of homicide by 500%. Intimate partner violence accounts for 15% of all violent crime. End quote. Of course, men are also victims of domestic violence, but at a much lower occurrence than women, according to statistics. I'm only referencing women in these stats to emphasize the growing issue of intimate partner violence and how it pertains to women specifically. I don't know if her family feels the same way regarding her not obtaining a weapon, or if it's just a way for people in the U.S. to push their own agendas regarding gun laws. Her mother's article didn't reference Carol trying to obtain a weapon at all. Her issue was with police and how they handled the situation. Again, I'm not in the U.S. nor in New Jersey, so I just go off what I hear and what I research. I don't want to pretend to know what losing a loved one in such a horrific manner feels like, or the fear that Carol felt. My situations of abuse that I've experienced do not come close to the trauma and fear that Carol endured. I just wish the focus of stories like this went to figuring out a way to actually protect victims of domestic violence. There has to be something that can be done. After her murder, the same governor who vetoed the monitoring devices approved an amendment to the gun law that allowed victims of domestic violence who show, quote, justified need, and, quote, those living under a direct or material threat, end quote, to obtain a weapon and be processed, quote, quickly and without delay, end quote. In the end, regardless of the gun laws, a woman lost her life, and it just shouldn't have happened. If you are going through a similar situation or any form of domestic violence, I'll leave a link to resources in Toronto, Canada below. It's not enough, but it's a start. And if you live somewhere else, I encourage you to look up services in your area. Thank you for listening to the story of Carol Bound. I'm your host, Sean Marie. Join me next time for another story.